The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at HalliburtonLabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to the Energy Scale-Ups podcast. I'm your host, Jose Jose Solis, if I can spit out my name right today. And I am joined by a special guest, Mr. Kyle Crow of Colorado. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jose. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Kyle is the president and founder of Crow Natural Resources. Kyle, if you wouldn't mind, just for a sense of background, would you give the listeners a little bit of your bio? Yeah, for sure. So basically, I think it was the Monday after I graduated high school, I broke out on a little double rotary rig here in Eastern Colorado and instantly just fell in love with it. I love the atmosphere. I love the teamwork and just kind of the thrill of the hunt. Like you go and drill something, you never know what's going to be there. So that I just got hooked, you know, right away. <laughs> I actually worked there for I think about eight months and wanted to go on to something bigger. So I got hired on with Patterson up in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was the coldest place I've ever been in my life. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous, but worked there for almost two years until oil went down and then I got laid off and I still you know, had it in the back of my mind. Like, this is what I want to do. I've done a lot of things. I'm kind of, you know, like a serial entrepreneur. I've tried to start a lot of different things, but oil has always, you know, been at the forefront basically. And then I actually was fortunate enough to get hired back on with Patterson in Midland, Texas and worked in West Texas for about two years. And then I always was fascinated when we would have meetings and the company men would come in and talk to us about kind of the engineering portion of it. And a lot of the guys would kind of shrug it off because, I mean, it was over our heads, you know, but I thought it was super fascinating. So I would always be the one that was kind of with them all the time, trying to learn as much as I can. And one day, one of the company men were like, you know, why don't you just go to school? I mean, you're here in Midland. Lubbock is, you know, a couple hours away. They have a great petroleum engineering school there. So I finished out that hitch and my little brother was actually going to Texas Tech already. So I okay. moved in with him in Lubbock, started going to school at Texas Tech, and I went for four semesters there, but I'm one of the people that has to be hands-on learning. I can't be you know, stuck in the classroom. It was I learned a lot of stuff, but I also kind of found out that the stuff I was learning, I could learn on the job and kind of progress my career and then not have to, you know, sink so much money into school. School's great. School's, you know, a lot of people do it, but just not for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's not for everybody, for sure. Yeah, so I ended up moving back home, and I wanted to learn the production side of it because I've been on the drilling side basically my whole adult life. So my buddy actually had a roustabout company here in eastern Colorado, so I joined on with him, and I learned a lot there, a lot of the completion side of it, which was cool because it kind of brought it all together for me. And then a guy that I actually went to high school with he messaged me on Facebook one day and he 
told me that he was looking for another operator to partner with to drill some wells in Kansas. I'm like, I don't know what an operator really is because, I mean, the, <laughs> like, North Dakota and Texas, it's very, very expensive. In Colorado, too, it's very expensive to go out and drill a well. But, I mean, in Kansas, you can go drill a well for 250000 where, I mean, it's millions everywhere else. Why is it such a difference in price? I think the depth that we drill, we only drill about 4,000 feet straight vertical. There's no directional drilling. I mean, you go to the bigger you know, joystick rigs that Patterson has in there, you know, drilling six, 8,000 feet. And that's their kickoff point to go start drilling horizontal. And then they have directional drillers. It's just so much more goes into that where we can just go, you know, drill 4,200 feet in four or five days, be done. And then kind of from start to finish from spudding in to, you know, laying pipe at the end, it could be a week and a half, two weeks where it could take months for, you know, the bigger companies to do it. I got what you're saying. So you're a little bit more agile. So I'm assuming that the rig that you need in order to drill that 4,200 foot well is much smaller and a lot less sophisticated. And obviously you don't need all that expensive jewelry, right? You just need, you know, not an expensive BHA, just probably some pretty basic BHA. So you don't have to go through the process of, having expensive rentals, extra trucking, extra personnel, all that stuff. So you can do it on the cheap. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really have, for example, like Baker Hughes, they're always out with Patterson. They're doing all their directional drilling. We don't have any of that. We have, they rig up, they put, you know, a basic bit, basic BHA. And then it's kind of like drilling surface for bigger companies. We go in, it's basically, we drill surface and we're already there. We're already to the formations. So we don't need all the expensive, you know, directional BHA. We don't need those additional subcontractors, anything like that. We basically, these rigs are just doubles. So, I mean, I'm used to, you know, three stands of pipe and tons of pipe. And this is, you know, (laughs) it looks small to me. I mean, these guys, that's all they've known. But yeah, two stands of pipe. And basically, it's pretty quick too. We don't have to do all the trip in, trip out. Basically, we drill down to a where we get shows at, I have a geologist that's always looking at the tailings that's coming out. And basically when he says, hey, this is a good spot, then we come in, we do the drill stem test. And that's kind of it. I mean, it's not nearly as sophisticated as the other places. But the cool thing is that oil's still, you know, $100 a barrel in Kansas and Colorado and North Dakota. I mean, we drill for so much cheaper, but we still get the same, you know, end product at the end of the well. And I have to assume because it doesn't sound like you're doing any like stimulation or any stuff like that, that your production levels are probably not as high, but still, if your ROI is still there, because if you're doing it much cheaper, you don't have to produce as much to get that bigger rate of return, right? So, you know, I have to imagine that it's still profitable, even if you're not getting, you know, that same amount of production coming out of that one well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, a lot of wells in Kansas, the older ones, I mean, they're doing five, 10 barrels a day, and they still think those are good wells. They still pump those every day. They're so profitable. I'd say an average decent well is like 30 to 35 barrels a day, where in you know North Dakota and Colorado and Texas, it'd be 100 plus, and that's where they're making their money. I can drill a well, and it does you know 20 barrels a day. I'm still making good money on that. 
Yeah. Is there any form of like artificial lift that you need to put on those wells to bring up the hydrocarbons? No, no, not really. It's super basic. Basically, once we know what zone the oil's at, we'll go in and we'll perforate the casing wherever we see that it's at. And then the pressure there is so cool that we don't really need a whole lot of, I guess, stimulation to get it out of the ground. Basically, just the basic pump jack and, you know, yeah. basic Standard tools pump get jack. it. Yeah. 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 So you don't have to put like electronic submersible pumps or gas lift systems or anything like that? No, no. The only time we ever have to put pumps in is if we're kind of overrun by water. Water is a huge deal in Kansas. That's kind of where a lot of people end up faltering is because they don't have the know-how or have anybody on their side that knows how to deal with the water. I mean, you could have 20 barrels a day of oil and then 200 barrels a day plus of water you're having to discard. So, I mean, it's a huge deal to have someone that knows how to deal with the water problem there. Yeah. So let's kind of rewind a little bit because I felt like we were kind of jumping in the weeds talking about, you know, the process, which is fun. I mean, I, you know, have it coming from the upstream side myself, I always like to talk about that kind of stuff because, I mean, it's interesting to me as well. But I'd like to kind of rewind a little bit because during the pre-show we were talking and you were talking about your family and, and entrepreneurship. And I have to imagine that it sounds like you chose this life because it was something that has been a part of your life for a while, like being your own boss, being an entrepreneur, working for yourself, you know, a family run business, right? Stuff like that. Is that something that you were always like, yeah, I'm eventually going to work for myself or or take over a family business at one point in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So like I was telling you before the show, my parents actually run a small grocery store here in Eads. It's the only one around within 60 miles. So it's actually a third generation. So my great grandpa started it back in like the twenties then my grandpa, and then my dad. So it's always been kind of in my mind that that's what I want to do because I saw how much freedom they had. It was a lot of stress. It's a lot of pressure, but it's also a lot of freedom too, being able to be your own boss. And what's really cool is my great grandpa, like I said, he started the, the grocery store and he had the hotel, he had the restaurant, he had the movie theater, he had his own trucking company. I mean, this guy was everywhere. And wow all my family and a bunch of people around this town still talk about that till this day. And I thought that was so cool that he built this legacy that people are still talking about and people are, it's kind of the motivation for us as his family to be able to see what he did and what we could do because of that. And so I kind of want, when I have grandkids, great grandkids to take over that role and they could tell stories about me and how I started all this and how they're benefiting from it. And that's just so cool. It's always been in the back of my head that I want that, how he's looked at in my family. So what was it that drew you to the oil field? Because you could have probably easily just moved right into helping run the family businesses or the family business. Why did you decide to go into energy instead? So my older brother, he worked on the rigs over in Southeast Colorado for since he was 18. And he's about eight years older than me. So I saw through him, how exciting it was. He was always telling us stories about what was going on at the rig and what they were doing. And I just thought it was fascinating. I mean, kind of just to think about going and getting this land and putting this big drill in it and then drilling and finding oil. It's just, it's so simple, but it's also just so exciting to kind of the thrill of the hunt. And I've always been one that's more kind of an adrenaline junkie, I guess. And so the grocery store, it sounded fine as kind of a backup, 
but it just didn't have the excitement and everything that I needed, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I understand completely. You wanted a little bit more of an adrenaline rush and that's okay. I think that's totally okay. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody deserves to pursue their dreams as they see fit. So you mentioned that your brother was on the rigs. Is your brother still in the industry or what is he doing? It slowed down a lot over here in Eastern Colorado and he actually got on with, it's like an internet power company. So he's okay. still doing like, you know, blue collar work, but it's just because there's not a whole lot of, unless you move to, you know, Greeley somewhere North, it's kind of hard to find a rig job in Colorado. Well, Colorado, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it and you're from there, so I'm sure you can speak on a little bit, but I remember it wasn't that long ago that Colorado was going through quite a bit of challenges for the energy industry for oil and gas specifically, because they were trying to pass certain laws that wouldn't allow companies to drill within certain areas of natural resources or stuff like that. Like maybe you could kind of shine some light on it a little bit better. But if I remember correctly, there were some issues going on. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually a huge deal a few years ago when they passed that law, because as well as not being able to drill so close to, you know, bodies of water, houses, power lines, anything like that, the producing wells, they were having a big fight of, can I still produce those wells, kind of get grandfathered in, or do I have to shut those down because of this? And I know that a lot of people were stressing out about that because it kind of came out of nowhere. The EPA, the you know the environmental agency here in Colorado is huge. Whenever I was doing roustabout work, I mean, we had to put tarps down, we had to put dirt over the tarps and another tarp and big fences and canals. And I mean, it was no joke at all about spills, about anything like that. So I mean, Colorado, I think the biggest issue they face is being able to work around all that red tape and still, you know, Drill a be well, successful. Yeah. yeah, it's super hard to be able to find leases that have, you know, good seismic and everything that look like a good place to drill. But then they see, oh, there's a body of water, you know, 80 feet away, 80 yards away, whatever. And we can't drill that now. So it was just a huge deal for people that were so used to being able to just go find a spot, drill it and start making money from it. Yeah. So you had mentioned that a friend of yours wanted to work with you to drill some wells out in Kansas. And then is that at the point where you started Crow Natural Resources? And then if it was, could you sort of, or even if it wasn't, but could you kind of walk me through like what that process is like? Because I can't imagine that starting an operating company is by any stretch of the imagination, similar to, let's say, for instance, starting an oil field service company, right? It's got to be a lot different. I'm sure there's other things that come along with it. And I mean, you're bootstrapping it, right? So how do you bring all those resources together that you need to actually go drill a well? Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like you said, it's not really like just starting any kind of company that you just go out and start right away. Basically, I knew my friend that was already operating and he bought out a company that was already going. So they already had production. They were already known in the industry. And I could have went and kind of partnered with him under his name and worked for him and been fine. But I wanted my own thing. I wanted my name on stuff. I wanted you know, something that I could build a legacy for my kids for. So it's a lot of red tape getting into it. You actually have to apply for an operating license in Kansas. You have to set up corporations you know, in Colorado, in Kansas. You have to go out and get you know, liability insurance. There's a lot of stuff you have to jump through. And then it's all about people you know at the end of the day. After you get everything set up and ready to go, I couldn't do it myself because, I mean, I knew 
kind of the basics of it, but I needed a geologist. I needed kind of a mentor to show me how to do stuff. I kind of just built a team around myself. And then I guess I was just kind of the, you know, operations day-to-day guy. And then I had a whole team out there, you know, working for me. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing. I mean, how did you source these people? Were these people that you already had in your network? Were these people that you would just go out and find, you know, through, you know, other various channels? How did you bring these people together? And then more importantly, like, how were you able to, you know, get them to work with you? I mean, I'm assuming that you obviously had to pay them something. I mean, did you bring them on as consultants? Did you hire them as full-time employees? How'd that work? Yeah. So like I said, it's all about who you know. Kansas, the oil field there is is a very small industry. I mean, everybody knows everybody. So it's kind of hard as a new person, especially being from Colorado to come and be accepted into that, you know, little club, I guess you could say. Basically, I drilled a well with my buddy and through him, I was able to meet the geologist that he had and a super good guy. He's one of my really good friends right now. And so I just kind of talked to him and I was like, hey, I kind of want to start my own thing. Would you be interested in helping me out? He goes, yeah, for sure. I love to help new operators because in Kansas, it's kind of all the operators are nearing retirement age. So they're wanting a lot of new operators to get in and kind of take it over. So that's where I got my geologist. And then also through my friend that I was partnering with, I found a guy that's been in the oil industry in Kansas for like 40 plus years. He's found... I believe four fields. He has like almost half a million barrels of oil to his name. And after, you know, getting them, obviously, whenever we take a deal, I'll give them, you know, so much overriding interest of the well. And then I'll also pay them, you know, whatever their daily rate is. It's kind of, they're subcontracted under me, but they're also part of Crow Natural Resources as a whole too. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. 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 It's kind of hard as a brand new person to get people to trust you. But I guess, you know, talking to them face to face, kind of laying out my plan, they thought it was good enough to hop on board. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously in the industry, your reputation is makes and breaks deals. If people, you know, they give you an opportunity and you do the right thing and you treat everybody correctly and you don't burn any bridges, they'll welcome you back. Right. Especially if you all make money together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the oil field is great. You can make a lot of money. You can be successful, but you can also get very, very greedy. You can go both ways. Kind of, There's two paths you can go. You can go greedy, kind of untrustworthy, or you could go the path where you know everybody trusts you. You have a good name. You have, you know, your reputation is everything. So that's kind of the path I'm on right now. I'm just kind of building trust within everybody. And like you said, not burning any bridges, just being super transparent with everything I do. So throughout your total career, I mean, you can, you know, looking back with even with Patterson and stuff like that, how many wells have you drilled so far? Oh, man. Through Patterson, probably 30, I'm guessing. But like I said, it's a lot longer time frame with them. So we'd go on a location and it'd be like a six hole pad. So we'd start at the end of the location and just kind of work our way Skid back. Get over. Yeah. 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 So I'd say probably 30 through Patterson and then through Crow Natural Resources. Like I said, I partnered with my high school friend and we drilled a well, ended up, it looked really good on 3D and everything, but when we drilled it, it was just a lot of water. So we ended up, basically that's a dry hole. So that's kind of hard to tell investors that, you know, my only well that I've actually been a part of is a dry hole. But then 
right when I was amping up to start to drill more independently, that's when I had my health problems. So I was, you know, out of the game for almost two years. So actually just starting up again right now. Yeah. You mentioned that before in the pre-show. Talk a little bit about that because that was definitely sounds like it was something hard for you to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. It was the craziest time of my life, honestly. So in May of 2020, I had, I think like four or five deals lined up. I was getting, you know, the wheels were finally starting to turn. I was excited. And I went up to Denver on a Friday and went rock climbing and hiking and everything all weekend. You know, like a dummy, I didn't drink a lot of water. I got super dehydrated. So that Monday night I was at a hotel. I went to lay down to watch TV. And then that's all I remember. I remember laying down and then waking up and I was in a hospital surrounded by people. I had a breathing tube in. I was freaking out, trying to rip my breathing tube out. My hands were actually restrained. So when I woke up, I wouldn't do that. But somehow I got my arm out. And then when the nurses came over to calm me down, they said, you know, you're in a hospital. The maid at the hotel found you unresponsive. We had to revive you. You were in full renal failure. And I guess I was in a coma for eight days until I woke up. And then, yeah, I was in the ICU for about a month and then got transferred. It was crazy because of COVID. So my parents could never visit me. Any of my family could never visit me. Yes, that was a super tough time. And basically all of 2020, I was just getting better. I actually got what's called rhabdomyolysis. I don't know if you know what that is. No. It's where whenever I fell and passed out, I fell in between the hotel bed and the wall. And the pressure, you know, pressing on my muscles on my right side ended up, it kills your muscle and you have to regenerate all that muscle. So I had to relearn how to use my hand. I had to relearn how to walk on my right side. It was super tough. It discouraged me a lot. And I didn't think that I was going to be able to, you know, chase this dream anymore after that. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. You're lucky to be alive. I am. That's why I'm doing this. I thank God every day that I'm, you know, alive. I'm able to wake up in the morning and chase this dream. And that's what motivates me too. I'll have a bad day and I'll think of, you know, I'm just lucky to be here. Like, why am I not taking advantage of the time I have, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times when people, especially who've had, you know, near death experiences or very near death experiences and have had some long term sense of recovery. They kind of have that, I'm living on borrowed time. I better do what I want to do because I don't know how much longer I have or that if tomorrow is going to be the last day. So I commend you because a lot of people might have not, you know, continued down the road that you're continuing on and said, look, you know, I'm just going to take it easy or whatnot. But, you know, you continue to choose this life that's obviously not easy, but it's doable and you know, you got the right attitude for it, which is great. We were talking a little bit in the pre-show and I had been talking to another serial entrepreneur recently. And he talked about things like, you know, having the audacity to like chase your dreams and having the adaptiveness to adapt and overcome problems and situations. And then the awareness to know like, Hey, I maybe am not a subject matter expert in this. So I need to find somebody who is to help me. So it sounds like you hit all three of those. You've been able to overcome a lot of things, but you've also believe in yourself, which is really important and is probably the most important, if anything, right? Where do you think or where do you see things moving for the industry in Kansas or maybe even as a whole? Like how do you see things, especially now that oil is, you know, has rebounded tremendously since the time you because obviously it was almost you know, kind of crazy because you got sick right around the time oil just really the bottom dropped out and then it's rebounded tremendously since then. I mean, 
where do you see things going? I mean, do you think we'll be in another you know cycle where it'll be a hundred dollars a barrel for a year or two and then drops back down, or how do you think that'll play out? Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of crazy when I started back up. You know, all of the cards were kind of lining up in my favor. I don't know, honestly. It's basically all political, is what it is. It's going to take whether we're going to take advantage of you know, independent energy, independent oil and gas, or if we're going to, you know, be dependent on other countries. I think if we realize that we have, you know, our own resources here in our own country that we can take advantage of, I can see oil staying, you know, between the 80 to $100 a barrel mark. But if, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's all political. And that's really at the end of the day, that's all it comes down to. Yeah, I, I don't think you're 100% wrong there. I think that definitely has something to do with it. One thing that somebody said on LinkedIn the other day that really kind of caught my attention was that it's one thing that it has to do with this capital discipline and, you know, energy companies, especially oil and gas producers having capital discipline and being in the position that you're in where you're really having to make every single nickel dime and penny stretch. Obviously, you have no choice but to exercise capital discipline, right? So let's say, for instance, if an investor were to say, look, Kyle, I've got, you know, $50 million I need to invest. I want to go drill some wells. You know, how would you put that money to work? How would you help that investor, you know, get a good rate of return on that capital? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like you said before, having that awareness to know that I don't know everything and I need to get the people that do know more. So if someone approached me like that, I would go to my geologist, I would go to my engineers that I am partnered with, and I would say, hey, here's the plan. We have you know X amount of dollars, and we need to go find deals that are going to be a big ROI for us, and then you know keep us busy. Because a lot of operators in Kansas, what they do is they'll line up four or five wells, and then after that, they don't have anything you know, to go after that. They kind of have a time where they're trying to find deals, they're having trouble finding them, and I would just you know, go out and start telling the people that are on my team, like, hey, we need to get deals to be able to keep us drilling throughout the year into next year and really pinch pennies. Because like you said, I'm starting with absolutely nothing. It'd be really just getting the expertise of everyone on my team to put a plan together to be able to present to them. And I think that we do have the ability to, you know, take that 50 million, whatever it would be, and, you know, turn it into something amazing. How many wells do you think you'd be able to drill with the capital investment of that size? 50 million, 80 to 100. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't count dry holes too. I mean, if to drill a well in Kansas, the average is about 250,000 to drill from, you know, spud in to TD. And then completion is usually another 250 to 300,000. So about, you know, half a million per well. So I could show him, you know, you could go drill maybe 10 wells in North Dakota, Texas, you know, Colorado, or we could, you know, really, really diverse all that money and be able to drill, you know, 80 plus wells with that. Yeah, that would be true. And what, I guess, you know, would there be any new technologies or any, any technologies that you would employ that maybe you've seen employed well or not employed well at other operators to make sure that you were being efficient in your operations? Yeah. So right now, just starting out, not really having the capital, I'm kind of having to do it old school, just go off of, you know, seismic mapping, stuff like that. But the technology nowadays is amazing. They have actually drones that you can 
fly over and do the seismic mapping. I would utilize a lot of that. There's a lot of, it's not really seismic. It's more of like a hydrocarbon mapping that they just came out with that kind of pinpoints where reservoirs are. It's a little expensive, but I would definitely do that. And then I get calls every day from people that are patenting, you know, new ways of going in and, you know, perforating the reservoir, taking care of the water problem. I would be, you know, use the old school mentality, but implement all of the new technology that I think a lot of the older operators in Kansas aren't doing. I see. Okay. And obviously, you know, one of the biggest killers of capital in operations, oil and gas operations is non-productive time, right? What kind of things would you do to make sure that you had, you know, as much or as little NPT as possible? You know, like what kind of, I guess, best practices would you employ? So just starting out, obviously I don't have the ability to waste any time at all. I have to make every minute, every second count. So I'd always make sure I have that next well in my back pocket. So if we go in and we drill a well, it's good. Boom, I'm on to the next one. You know, I'll you know, celebrate a little bit and then it's right back to work. It's going to have to be, I have to plan it out where I have well after well after well and have, you know, all the subcontractors lined up. I can't drill a well and then, you know, wait for a roustabout crew for two weeks to come in. I'm going to have to be, you know, five steps ahead of everything all the time. Yeah. And as far as, you know, like safety and HSE and stuff like that goes, because that's another, not problem, but it's another big pinch point because obviously if you're having issues, having incidents, not just cost time, but it can cost you a lot of money. What kind of requirements would you have in order to make sure like, Hey, look, yes, we need to drill in a timely manner, but we need to do it safely and not have any incidents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, I don't want to be misinterpreted where I'm saying we're going to go, go, go and not have any regard for anyone's safety. Basically, safety is a huge thing for me because at the end of the day, I want everyone that works for me to be able to go home to their families. And so, you know, before we do any kind of job that is going to have, you know, any safety concerns, we're going to have meetings about it. We're going to have, obviously, all my team go over it and see, you know, every situation that could possibly occur. And we're going to try to be speedy, but at the same time, like I said, we're going to have safety meetings. We're going to have a lot of protocols in place. We're going to make sure, you know, everyone's wearing proper PPE all the time. I'm not going to sit there and I've had a lot of bosses before that we had really strict safety rules, but when it came down to getting something done, those rules kind of go out the window. That's not what I want to do, you know, with my company because the oil field, I mean, it's so dangerous that one mess up, one, you know, not thinking, trying to rush could result in something, you know, catastrophic. So that's something that's going to be huge with me is the safety aspect of it and trying to be efficient, but also being as safe as we possibly can too. For sure. For sure. Well, that was my last question. Before we go, I want to remind the listeners to enter our weekly giveaway. It's a really cool backpack from Halliburton Labs. Highly recommend that you enter to win our weekly giveaway. And I'd also like to ask the listeners to rate, review, and connect with any feedback that you might have. Before we go, Kyle, I want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners and the audience know how they can find out more about you, how they can connect with you, what social media channels you're on, and how they can get in contact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search W Kyle Crow. The W is my first name. is actually William, but I go by Kyle. You can connect with me there. That's basically the platform that I do everything business-wise on. You can email me to crowresources at gmail. 
super good at getting back to people right away. And yeah, that's about it. We're in the process of getting our website done right now. So as soon as I get my website done, I'll post all that on my LinkedIn so you guys can connect with me further. Awesome. Kyle, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to connect today. I know it was kind of last minute and serendipitous, but I'm really glad we had a chance to talk. I'm really glad that you're okay and you're doing much better and that you're rebounding. I know that it's a big undertaking to go start an oil and gas operating company, but I feel like you're going to have a lot of success. So I can't wait to talk to you again in the future and hear about all of the great things that you've been doing. Yeah. Thanks, Jose. I really appreciate being on here and I enjoy listening to you know every episode. And I just hope that being able to get my story and everything out there helps build this dream of mine. For sure. For sure. We'll talk again soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.